the Pasuk starts off, if you look at chapter 22, verse 20, Viger lo sona, and do not oppress a convert, or a ger, much more accurately translated, refers to a stranger, as we're going to see in Rashi. Vilo silchatsanu, and do not give them undue pressure or oppression. Kigerim hayisem ba'aretz Mitzrayim, because you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. And the first question which we have to ask is, why does this require a justification? Is the only reason why it is wrong to oppress a stranger or to torment somebody who comes from outside, whether it's uh, theologically or it's, you know, um, as, as, as a matter of immigration, as Rashi says, is only because once 4,000 years ago we had a similar experience? What does it mean, Kigerim Hayisim Baritz Mitzrayim? The next verse says, Amy is very actively involved in also talking. Do not oppress any widow or orphan. Do not oppress them. The third verse, now what happens? If you oppress him. And the question, which is immediately obvious, is why does it say him instead of them? Right? We just gave three people. Three, three categories, right? Strangers, widows, and orphans. Yet when talking about the consequences, it refers to only one person. Okay, we're going to answer that in due time. If they cry, shall they cry to me? Notice the double language. I will hear their cry. What's going to happen? And I will get angry. And I will kill them. Becharev with a sword. And their wives shall be widows. And their children orphans. So there's a, a series of questions which need to be asked on this passage. While on the face of it, it seems like a very straightforward idea that God wants to protect vulnerable people. In fact, Rashi explains that the reason why he uses the word oso to include anyone who is vulnerable, that the Torah is merely explicitly stating those who are in the common vulnerable populations, but it really implies anybody who's, who's vulnerable. Then in Pasuk Chavbez, it keeps using the doubling of the words. If they oppress, cry shall they cry, a lie to me, shomaya eshma. Hear will I hear. So it uses the doubling of the words three times for all three, for all, for all, for all of the key phrases in the sentence. Secondly, if you look at verse 23, Hashem says two things. I will get angry and I will kill them with a sword. What, what's Hashem specifying Becharet? The Ramban over here, and Rashi alludes to this, and really it's based on the Talmud and Sanhedrin explains that what God is saying, I will kill them with a sword, that God is saying that I will not kill them in a sanitized way. A heart attack, something heavy falls on them, a car accident. No, I'm going to kill them in the way that nobody will ever find their body. And he says this explicitly. He says that they will become captured in a war and they will be killed and nobody will ever know where they are. And their wives will be left without closure. Their children will be left not being able to inherit their father's belongings, I will make them disappear from the face of the earth. 
So why is God talking like a 1930s gangster? What is this extra degree of almost visceral destruction that Hashem is promising on this person? There is a there is another there is another very difficult very very difficult point over here, and that is why does the Torah over here why does it keep on no I'm sorry so that's it I apologize so we have four questions to answer the first is why does God have to give a reason for the oppression of a stranger the second question is why is there this collection of doubles of and the third question is why does Hashem say in such a fierce way that I will kill the person to the extent that they will disappear and they're going to bring incredible suffering on their family. And in fact, you could ask on a deeper question, what did their family do wrong? Is this justice that the brunt of the crime should be felt by their wives and by their children? The Ramban over here gives us two very interesting insights. One pertaining to the impact and power of people's feelings, and another one pertaining to the importance and the place of having faith in God, or better, more than faith, reliance on God. There's an old Russian joke. A bunny rabbit was sitting by a picnic table, writing on a piece of paper. A fox walks over to the bunny rabbit and says, Mr. Bunny, what are you doing? I'm hungry, I would like to eat lunch. The bunny rabbit says, I'm sorry, you can't interrupt me, I'm writing my dissertation. The fox says, what kind of ridiculous dissertation does a bunny rabbit have? I'm gonna eat you. So the bunny rabbit says, excuse me, Mr. Fox, come with me behind this tree and I will explain you the depth and meaning of my dissertation. 10 minutes later, the rabbit is sitting back at the picnic table writing his dissertation. A jackal walks up to the rabbit, says, I'm hungry, I would like to eat lunch. What are you doing? He says, I'm writing my dissertation. I'm sorry you can't eat me right now. He says, what is so important about this dissertation that I can't eat you right now? He said, come with me behind the tree, and I will show you the importance of my dissertation. Five minutes later, the bunny rabbit is sitting back at the table writing his dissertation. At this point, a wolf, who is smarter than most, walks over to the rabbit, noticing the disappearance of the fox and the, and the jackal. And the wolf says to him, would you mind explaining to me here what is the importance of your dissertation? He says, no, my dissertation can only really be understood behind that tree. The wolf follows the rabbit behind the tree. Over there is a grizzly bear, hits, he kills the wolf, and the bunny rabbit walks out and says, it's never the dissertation that's important, it's the advisor. The Ramban says the same thing over here. When a regular person is attacked, or a regular person is tormented, they turn to other humans for support, their spouse, their parents, their friends, and they place their reliance and they place their faith in these people. So then their salvation is limited by what these people can do. But the widow, the stranger, the people who have no one in their lives, have only one advisor, and their advisor can do a whole awful lot. 
And therefore, it is specifically these people who, when they cry out to God, get answered this way. And that is why there is this doubling of language, Ramban says, because their problems are treated with expediently because they chose the right advisor. And it's a lesson to us that we have to realize that one of the aspects of bitachon, of reliance on God, are not simply that what we should rely on God because he could do things for us. When we rely on God, we so-called empower or we entrust God to do things for us. And that is the power of bitachon, of faith. No, sorry, not faith, reliance. The other thing that the Ramban is talking about, this incredibly visceral reaction against those who torment people, there is a fascinating idea developed by Rukhaim Shmulevitz, the Mashkiach of Mir Yeshiva. He brings a very difficult passage in Talmud. There was a rabbi who once told his wife that he would be studying far from home, but he would be back home by nightfall. He got very absorbed in his learning. He was in the attic, there were no windows. He was learning by candlelight and he didn't notice the passage of time. His wife, meanwhile, was very worried. Where was her husband? She began to cry. As soon as two tears fell down her face, the attic collapsed, killing this rabbi. And the Gemara says, these are how powerful people, a person's pain is. And you have to ask yourself, where is the justice or even logic in this? Wouldn't she be in so much more pain with her husband dead than just with him late? Reb Chaim Shmulevitz explains a very difficult idea. He says a person's feelings are like a fire. When there's pain, a person experiences pain. When a person suffers, it creates a tremendous force in heaven, a tremendous, tremendous anger in heaven against the person who caused it to them. And if this is a person who has no other recourse, it's God who takes vengeance for them. You'll notice that the, that the language over here, and I want to point this out in three other places in the Torah. The first is by the story of stone. When does God destroy stone? It says, when he hears Kitsaakas Sedom Amora Kiraba, when he hears the suffering of the oppressed, what happens? There's no punishment. Stone is completely and totally uprooted and destroyed. The second place, the Jews are suffering in Egypt. When do they get out? When does God decide to take them out? By Yisrael Yishma Elohim. And Elohim heard. What's interesting is that Elohim, the God's name Elohim, is the language referring to God of Din. And this is not what we would expect when we're talking about when God decides to take the Jews out of Egypt. We would expect the expression of Hashem, which refers to the mercy of God, the merciful aspect of God. Why does it, why when he hears Vayitza'aku, it's Elohim? The answer is, is that when we talk about this notion of God merciful and God judgment, it's really a misunderstanding. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. 
Rashi explains, he brings a Madrash, that first the world was created with Midas Hadin, God with the attribute of judgment. God saw that the world could not survive with the attribute of judgment, so he then redid the process or overlaid a process with Hashem, with the attribute of mercy. The explanation, the idea of the attribute of judgment doesn't mean harshness. It means law. It means nature as we know it. It means a hard-coded set of rules that exist, both spiritual and physical. And just as we are comfortable with the laws of nature, we have to understand that there exists a spiritual nature as well that has its own laws, its own actions, and its own consequences. This is Midas Hadin. This is the attribute of judgment. When you sin, when you sin, you cause real damage in the spiritual world. And just as you break a window, the glass shatters, you sin, destruction happens. And those are the consequences of sin. And the name Hashem is a supernatural mulligan that exists. That God could supernaturally intervene and prevent the consequences of your actions from impacting you and giving you this magical notion called tshuva that enables you to undo damage. But there is one thing that prevents the supernatural intervention from happening. When you torment God's creatures, when you cause pain to others, you are stuck with dealing with the consequences of nature. God does not intervene to help the oppressor. God only intervenes for the oppressed. It says, it says, the Kigerim Hayisim Be'eretz Mitzrayim, because you were once strangers in the land of Egypt, Ramban explains that Hashem is giving us insight into why the consequences of tormenting people are so extreme. Why were you taken out of Egypt? Why did Egypt have to experience everything which they, which they went through? Because they oppressed a stranger. The reason why I brought the Makos, the reason why there was all this destruction, the reason behind mine having to destroy the core of Egypt was because they oppressed a stranger. It wasn't to take you out. When Hashem heard the Tzaka Sedom Va'amor, I'm sorry, but Hashem heard the cries of the Jewish people, Vayeda Elohim, is because nature was happening then. It wasn't supernatural intervention to take out the Jews, the Ramban explains. It was the natural consequence of the Egyptians becoming, being put in the role of oppressor and oppressing a stranger. The reason why a person's wife and children bear the brunt is not because this is justice. It's because they have caused such a tremendous damage in this world that unfortunately they have destroyed the lives not only of themselves but of their family as well. The consequences that are happening over here are not measured retribution. They are a direct consequence of your actions, of the pain and suffering you have brought others. You have, through your actions and through the consequences and the laws of spiritual nature, brought down destruction on yourself and all those who know you. That is the power of feelings. You hurt God's people, God does not intervene for you. It's a very important lesson for us when we talk about feelings and hurt in today's day and age. 
the idea of political correctness, the idea of trigger words is very often a big political conversation and a big political fight. How much do I have a right or an obligation to be sensitive to others? In the Torah's perspective, it's very clear. You have no rights to hurt somebody else. And you could experiment and play with fire all that you desire to, but know what the consequences are. And know what happens to people who make the wrong decision on these questions. All right, have a good luck, everyone. If anyone has any questions, please, please uh, feel free to ask.